Let us pray. Amoshi eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, gracious, majestic in all your ways, we are thankful for the kindness that you've shown us even yesterday when you sent your storm through this area. You spared us. For this, we're grateful. We're grateful that we have been given the privilege to assemble, to hear your word communicated to us. We realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding that which is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it's our request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 through 22. He reads, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now the message of this section of Exodus 4 verses 14 verses 21 through 22 that we have been considering is that the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan. The plan that he has for you. Now this message we indicated is to be expounded using three propositions. The first proposition we have considered in detail is that God may, depending on what the problem is, use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. That, of course, is derived from the first clause of verse 21 when it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The second proposition is that God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. This proposition is derived from the second clause of verse 21. That reads, And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The third proposition is that God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. Now this proposition is evident in the first result of God demonstrating his power by using the east wind to accomplish his purpose. Now the first result is the appearance of dry ground as given in the clause of the NIV of Exodus 14 verse 21, 
the reeds and turned it into dry land. Or more literally, the, Greek, the Hebrew says, and he made the sea become dry ground. So we, we then proceed with the second result, after which we will see how the results of God demonstrating his power using the east wind to divide the Red Sea conveys the top proposition that we have just stated. The second result of God's demonstration of his power by dividing the Red Sea is Israel's passage through the Red Sea on dry ground as in the first clause of Exodus 14 verse 22 that says, And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. A literal translation is, And the Israelites entered the middle of the sea on the dry land. Now that the first clause of Exodus 14.22 and the Israelites went through uh, the sea on dry ground, that that introduced a second result of God's demonstration of his power. It's indicated by the conjunction and that begins the clause. Now this conjunction and is translated from a Hebrew particle that it's often translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. For example, it may be used as a marker of result, in which case it may be translated therefore or so that. Now another usage is as a marker of sequence of closely related events leading to the translation then or and then. In our clause, although the translation and is not wrong, it is probably that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand the particle here as conveying both result and sequence. In other words, what is stated in the first clause of Exodus 14 verse 22 results from the dividing of the Red Sea and is sequential to it. To be that as he made them, the second result of God's demonstration of his power is that Israel continued their travels. The word went of the NIV is really translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to go to or to come. Now the word may mean to enter, to enter, as in the entrance of Noah and his family into the ark to ensure that he and his family escaped the flood judgment, as recorded in Genesis chapter 7, verse 7. Genesis chapter 7, verse 7. Genesis chapter 7, verse 7 reads, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Now when the word is used in connection with disaster or calamity, the Hebrew word may mean something like to overtake, overtake, as it is used to describe what may happen to the wicked in Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 15. 
Proverbs Proverbs chapter 6 verse 15 It is therefore disaster will overtake that's a Hebrew word therefore disaster will overtake him in an instant that's the wicked he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Now the word may mean to follow as it is used in the description of the fate of the Egyptians that continued to pursue the Israelites even after they entered the Red Sea as we see in Exodus chapter 14 that we are starting look at verse 28. Exodus chapter 14 where we are looking at anyway. Verse 28 reads, The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that have followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So the word may mean to invade of enemies as it is used to describe those that invaded Israel's Land in Judges chapter 6, verse 5. Judges chapter 6, verse 5. Judges chapter 6, verse 5 reads, They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded, that's a Hebrew word here, invaded the land to uh, ravage it. That's part of judgment that God brought on Israel for getting them into idolatry. Now in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 22, the war has a sense of to travel or to proceed. Thus Israel continued their travels or proceeded in their travels by walking through the middle of the Red Sea. As in that first clause of Exodus 14 verse 22 again it says, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. The Holy Spirit was more precise regarding the movement of the Israelites through the Red Sea, because the phrase through the sea of the NIV is more literally from the Hebrew through the mist of the sea. Through the mist of the sea. Now, the translators of the NIV and many of our English versions did not use the word mist, probably. Because they thought it to be redundant. Since they, there are two propositions that are joined in the Hebrew text. The first proposition is a Hebrew word that may mean among. As it is used in the announcement of the plague of locusts that will take place within the locations of the Egyptians. As we read in Exodus 
chapter 10 verse 1. Exodus chapter 10 verse 1. It reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them. Now the proposition can also mean simply in, in, as a marker of position within certain limits, contrasted with being outside a given area, even in three dimensional areas, as for example, the command of the law for sea creatures to multiply, to fill the sea, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. And hold on to Genesis. It is, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the uh, waters in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. Now, when our proposition is used with passages that involve movement, it may then be translated through, through. As, for example, in the case of the description of Abraham's travels in Canaan, as we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. Let's see, hold on, Genesis. Genesis 12, verse 6 reads, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray as she came. At that, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So here our Hebrew word is translated, the preposition is translated through. Now our preposition is of course really used twice in the Hebrew of this verse. In its first usage, it is translated true, and but in the second usage, it is translated in. Now, the preposition may also mean into, into, to describe destination of movement, as when Laban went into the tent of Jacob in search of his household gods, as we read in Genesis chapter 31, verse 33. Genesis chapter 31 verse 33 It reads 
So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into, that's a Hebrew proposition, into the tent of the two uh, maidservants, but he found nothing. After, after he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now because the traveler of the Israelite is involved in Exodus 14 verse 22, the Hebrew preposition may be translated through, although the meaning into is possible, as reflected in some English versions, such as the revised edition of the New American Bible. That's how they translated our preposition into. Now the second preposition, like I told you, two prepositions used together. The second preposition is a Hebrew word that also may mean among, among, as it is used in the instruction concerning keeping Israel ceremonially pure in Leviticus chapter 15 verse 21. Leviticus chapter 15 verse 21. Leviticus chapter 15 verse 31 Leviticus 15 verse 31 It reads You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my uh, dwelling place which is among them uh, Here our preposition is translated among them Now the word may also mean through as it is used in the instruction of the Lord to Moses regarding the dividing of the Red Sea as recorded in the passage we are stored in Exodus 14 look at verse 16 Exodus chapter 14 verse 16 we are studying Exodus 14 look at verse 16 reads raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. So here, a Hebrew word, Tzavek, is translated through. The Hebrew uh, preposition may also mean middle, middle, as it is used to describe the time of night in First Kings chapter 3, verse 20. First Kings chapter three verse twenty. First Kings chapter three verse twenty reads So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. But here, we use, find the Hebrew word translated middle. Now it is true, the meaning of the two Hebrew propositions overlap. But because the Holy Spirit through the human author used both propositions in our verse of study, it seems that both propositions should be translated. There must be a reason. 
Now the second proposition may be translated mist or meadow to differentiate it from the use of the common meaning through of both prepositions. Thus, we contend that the second proposition should not be left untranslated as in the NIV. Now it is probably the case that the Holy Spirit through Moses wanted to ensure we get the picture of the travels of the Israelites once the sea was divided that he did that. So it is important we understand that the Lord divided the sea in such a way that there was water on both sides of the dry path that through which Israel was to uh, travel. So you see the, the Lord could really have divided the water in such a way that the dry land would be on the same level as the water on both sides of the path Israel was to travel. But that really was not the case. So the Holy Spirit through Moses wanted us to get the picture of the path of Israel's travel as surrounded with water on a highway <laughs> on both sides of the road so that it can be said that the Israelites traveled through the mist of the sea. Both, both sides, if you imagine, there's a dry path. But on both sides, you see this wall that we're going to be talking about uh, shortly, wall of water. So he wants us to get that image. So that we, that's why I believe the Holy Spirit used both uh, preposition for what Moses wrote. Now, explanation though, that the Holy Spirit intended for us to have the mental picture of Israel's travel through the Red Sea as involving their paths being surrounded by water on both sides is supported by the last phrase of the NIV of Exodus 14 verse 22 because it reads with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now this phrase is in a sense an explanation that helps us, or at least helps some, to have the mental picture of what is in, uh, that is really meant that the Israelites travel through the sea, the Red Sea in this case, on dry ground. Now we offer this interpretation because of a Hebrew particle used that begins the phrase in the NIV, I mean in the Hebrew, but it's not translated in the NIV and in many of our other English versions. See, a literal translation, notice what we have in the NIV, say, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Literally, the Hebrew says, and the waters, a wall for them on their right and on their left. Again, and the waters, a wall for them on their right and their left. See, the word and in the literal translation is from a Hebrew particle that we say many times. It's, it's often translated and in our English. However, the Hebrew has several 
usages, for example, it may be used as a marker of result, in which case it may be translated so. In the Hebrew phrase that we are considering, the particle could be interpreted as a marker of reason with the meaning because, implying that it is because of the location of the waters that Israel went through a dry land. Now another interpretation is that the particle is used as a marker of explanation with the meaning that is, that is. So the implication of this interpretation is that the phrase that we are considering explains what is meant by Israel traveling through the dry land, through the mist of the sea. Now both interpretations make sense in the context So it may be a case where we are to understand the phrase as providing both the reason for Israel's travel on dry land and an explanation of what that means. So that one gets a mental picture of what the Israelites faced in uh, their travels through the Red Sea. So the phrase of Exodus 14.22 again, with a wall of water on their right and on their left, is really an interesting one that demands our focus. You see, a wall is usually a physical solid structure that is erected for protection or for partitioning of rooms in a house or a building. The Hebrew word translated wall here is one that is often used for a city wall in the ancient times that provided protection from enemies as used in the description of the walls of the inhabitants of Canaan as recorded for example in Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 5. It reads, All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars and there were also a great many unwalled villages. But the key here, uh, what we're concerned is the word walls. So there is something solid to keep people from coming in. Now although the Hebrew word refers to a physical structure, but it is used figuratively in certain passages of the scripture. For example, it is used for protection. David and his men provided for the shepherds of Nebel in the open field where their flock grazed as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Verse 16. First Samuel. Chapter 25, verse 16. It is night and day 
There were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now, this is not a physical wall. These are soldiers, in a sense, but these are men with David, and they formed a wall in the sense that they protected the shepherds. Now, wall is also used to depict danger, the danger of sin. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 13. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 13 It is this scene will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant now the word also may mean fire to portray God's protection of Israel or to portray that God is the protection of Israel as it is used in Zechariah chapter 2 verse 5. Zechariah Zechariah chapter 2 verse 5 It reads And I myself will be a wall of fire around it declares the Lord and I will be his glory within so, we see that in, actually in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 22, the word is used literally to compare to a physical wall, meaning that the wall of waters is real, although not in the sense of a solid structure, but its function is to provide protection for Israel. That was the phrase that we're looking at, Exodus 14, verse 22. Again, it says, With a wall of water on their right and on their left is an indication of God's protection for the Israelites against drowning in the sea using that which is real. Water is real. But that becomes what God used to protect his people. In other words, he can use whatever he wants. Even things that wouldn't make sense to you, doesn't matter. If he wants to protect you, like I said, you can have a, a wall that's strong and he won't protect you if he doesn't want to protect you. And whereas you may have a spider's wave around you, he will protect you. It all depends on what he wants to do. That's what the issue here. Anyway, does the phrasing 
again of Exodus 14.22, with a wall of water on their right and on their left is really an indication of God's protection. Now that the phrase conveys the sense of protection, it's even more evident if we actually use the literal Hebrew that reads the waters, a wall for them on their right and on their left. So the literal translation implies that waters form wall for Israel on both sides of the path they were to travel to cross through the Red Sea. So the description of the water as forming a wall conveys that the place Israel traveled through in the sea involved deep waters and not shallow waters. Since shallow water, if divided, could not provide a wall of water as described in our passage. So, what we are, you know, some people will say, well, it may have been a shallow water that they passed through. No. It's not a, it, there's nothing shallow about where, wherever that part where they pass through the race, we don't know the exact location, but whatever it is, it must be so that the, wa- the water that the Lord raised up in order to bring up the dry land was so high on both sides. And that's what the picture that the Holy Spirit wants us to see. Here is a people filing, and this wall, big wall, who knows how many feet high. And yet, there's a dry land where they are passing through. Just get a mental picture of that. Now be that as he made them, the phrase of Exodus 14.22, with a wall of water on their right and on their left, is intended to focus our attention both on God and on the Israelites. So the phrase focuses our mind, or should focus our mind, on two aspects of God's character. His power and faithfulness. His power and faithfulness. Now, when Israel saw water piled up so high, they were to recognize how great the power of God is to accomplish such a feat, as well as to marvel at his work. Now water stood like a wall. Now only the creator has the power to divide uh, the Red Sea in such a way that waters form walls on both sides of the path the Israelites were to travel. So I'm saying that God wanted Israel and so to all of us to marvel at his power. The power that did that. Thus, the psalmist let her recognize this power of God when he described God's action in leading Israel out of Egypt, as we read in Psalm 74, verse 13. Psalms 74. Verse 13. 
See, hold on to, I mean, once you give that psalm, hold on. The next passage is also in Psalms. Psalms 74, verse 13. It reads, It was you who split the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. Now the psalmist also marveled at God's action of dividing the Red Sea so that water stood like wall as a physical solid structure as we read still in Psalm 78 verse 13. Psalms 78 verse 13 Psalm 78 verse 13 reads He divided the sea and laid them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. There is a an amazement here and a wonderment by the psalmist to describe what God has done. So anyway, it is not only the power of God that is conveyed though in the phrase with a wall of water on the right and on the left as we have indicated but also his faithfulness. His faithfulness. Now it may not be easy to recognize that this phrase that we are looking at demonstrates God's faithfulness until we recognize that it is a miracle of dividing the Red Sea that assured Israel that they will enter Canaan. Now if the Lord did not divide the Red Sea, the Israelites will not have entered Canaan, and so God's promise would have gone unfulfilled. We know that faithfulness on the part of God means He keeps His promise. The Lord promised to bring Israel out of Egypt during His commissioning of Moses to become His agent of Israel's deliverance in Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Exodus chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. It is Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them The Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A land 
flowing with milk and honey. That's a promise. Now see what, what the picture that we're looking at. Remember, the, the Egyptians are at their back. In front is the Red Sea. If the Lord didn't open that Red Sea, clearly so that Israel can see the path to pass through, then this promise would not have been fulfilled. Because they would have all been slaughtered or taken back to Egypt to be enslaved once more. But this is what God had promised. So certainly, the promise of God here would not have been fulfilled without the wall of waters that formed protection for Israel to ensure they were not drowned in the sea. Now because God kept his promise through the dividing of the Red Sea, he demonstrated his faithfulness. Consequently, God wanted Israel to recognize his faithfulness as they saw the wall of water on both sides of the path they traveled. Now recall, we indicated that the phrase of Exodus 14 verse 22, look at it again, it says, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. I say that that phrase is intended to focus our attention both on God and on the Israelites. Now we have focused our attention on God's character or concerning his power and faithfulness. So we need then to focus our attention on the Israelites to learn what that phrase says about them. So we are not given information as to who among the Israelites first entered the path of the dry ground that had water on both sides. It would have been Moses as Israel's leader that entered the dry ground or Aaron and his family. Now, many times we read these things and we don't meditate enough. They have come to the bank of the river, I mean of the sea. It has opened up. That's the dry land. Who's going to get in there first? Think about it. So you know what we're dealing with. Yeah, we'll see that. It's like those uh, people say, well, yeah, I believe that. Then when they do that, they say, no, 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 I'm going to do that. So the reason, so you know what is easy, we read through this and we just go away. Look at the water, it's divided. Now who's going to enter first? Now that wasn't given to us. Now this lack of knowledge though, does not detract from the focus that we should have on the Israelites. And that's reflected in the phrase really that we're considering. The phrase conveys to us that the Israelites acted in faith as they entered the midst of the sea on a dry ground. It is easy for us to read the narrative we have without recognizing that they are human like us. Now it is true that the Israelites observe the Lord divide the Red Sea but to enter the dry ground required faith. Big time. 
request it. And you see, some of the Israelites could have wondered, what if they enter the dry, uh, the dry ground and the water come rolling back on them? Some could have even thought that maybe they were hallucinating on a massive scale. And so, wonder what would happen if they stepped into the dry ground. Anyway, the wall of waters formed a formidable challenge to Israel as to whether they would trust God and believe that God will sustain the wall of waters until all of them have crossed the Red Sea. So the point we're stressing is that it took faith on the path of the Israelites to enter the dry ground on the sea. Now there is a sense we can say that they actually acted not by sight but by faith. As we all are demanded as believers to function that way according to Second Chronicles, I mean Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. Very simple statement. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven. It's a very simple statement. It simply says, We live by sight by faith, not by sight. So what they were facing, here you see water. The in the midst of the race, see here, it's all divided. And you can see it. You can see water. So what are you going to do? If you believe that God promised you to get you across the other side, then you will move on. But if there's doubt, you won't go. Now someone may protest though, to my assertion of the Israelites acting in faith because they saw the water divided and the wall of waters appearing to be steady. Now, so you may say, oh, uh, yeah, it wasn't much of faith. Well, all I can say to you is this. Put yourself in their shoes and imagine what you would have done. Is it possible that you would have easily entered the dry land without fear of what could happen? Or would you have not thought what if I enter this dry land and the water suddenly rolls back? Now I'm dealing with water and you say, well yeah, I understand that. But that's what we all face every day of our lives. All this doubt. You know what God has said to you. You know what he's promised you. Yet this doubt keeps creeping in, keeps creeping in. What if I did this? What if I did that? That's the doubt. Something here. But we're all tested and tempted with it more or less. What if I did this? But God said to you, I will do this for you. And you say, what if I did this? And this happens. Something. So if you can look at those two questions that I've given to you, that really should help you to understand that it was an act of faith on the part of the Israelites to have stepped on the dry ground. So my point though is that the phrase of Exodus 14.22 
with a wall of water on the right and on their left is intended to convey to us that Israel acted in faith when they entered the dry ground of the Red Sea. They did not allow fear of the possibility of what could happen to them when they entered the dry ground to keep them from proceeding from the travels. In other words, they have seen the race in the valley. They could all stay there and say, well, what if, what if, what if? And that doubt keeps increasing. That didn't happen. They went by faith. Now, I'm not just making it up. It's explained here. But the scripture also testified to that. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. So all I'm trying to get to us is when we read these things we should try to apply them to our lives. See what it is that you're going through. What, what's your water that the Lord has divided in a sense by, with his promise and say you go through. You claim my promise and accept what I'm going to do for you. And, you're, and the enemy keeps singing this to you. What if, what if, what if. And that will happen, that will happen. You know, those kind of things. But look at what we read here. Hebrews 11.29 reads, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You know this is why I say? By faith. By faith. Now there's another thing that the phrase of Exodus 14.22 with a wall of water on the right and on the left converts to us together with the east wind driving back this, uh, the sea back. It is that it indicates Israel had a clearly defined path on which they should travel. In other words, the wall of waters made it clear to Israel that their only path of travel was the one that is carved out by the wall of waters on either side of their path. So we are saying there was no ambiguity regarding the path Israel should travel to cross the Red Sea and so to avoid the problem they faced regarding the pursuit of the Egyptians. Now this thing I've just said to you that is the assertion that's in keeping with the third proposition that we stated. Remember what it is? God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. Now we should be careful regarding the application of this third proposition since it requires that we are obediently pursuing God's instructions. The Lord did not make the path of escape clear to Israel until they obeyed his command to follow a specific path of travel out of Egypt. The implication is that for the Lord to act in a way to make clear the way forward with our problems, we should live obediently. In addition, we should be observant to notice the things God does in our environment when we face problems. 
He may act through events to point to the way out of our problems, or he may act through the speaking of his word when we seek his guardians. In the scripture, we have few examples of God acting in ways to make clear the way forward out of a problem. When David was being pursued by Saul, he ran into a city that he felt he would be saved. But on the other hand, he recognized that Saul was moving and coming around here. So, he inquired of the Lord, should I continue to stay there? Will they turn me in with this? God gave him an answer. And this is what we have in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 through 13. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 through 13. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9 reads, When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the effort. David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. Again, David asks, Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, They will. So David and his men went out, uh, and about his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. So in this example, the Lord communicated to David a way out. Thus, when in trouble, we should keep our ears open to hear uh, whatever we hear from the word of God, as it is possible that it is through it that we will hear a specific way out of our problem. Of course, God can act in miraculous ways to make clear the way out of trouble, as he did for Peter. When he, when he faced imprisonment, God acted by sending an angel that led him out of it. So God made clear to him a way out that he could join fellow believers as reported in Acts chapter 12 verses 5 to 11. Acts chapter 12 verses 5 to 11. Acts chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, verse 5 reads, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. 
he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your clothes around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jews, uh, Jewish people were anticipating. So here, as soon as he led him to where it was clear forward where to go, he left him alone. So that is, he made the way. So the Lord may not send an angel to you like Peter, but he might send a human being to provide you a way out of your problem. So we are saying that you need to be vigilant to recognize when God is acting to make clear to you a way out of your problem. Now this requires also that you patiently wait. Patiently. Wait. After you have asked the Lord to make clear to you the path forward in your problem. Wait patiently. That's something, of course, I would say almost all of us are, we lack it. Patience. But we have to wait patiently. So this again requires that you patiently wait. And until God makes clear to you the path forward. So anyway, we have the message we've been expanding. Is that the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. Now this message we have expanded using three propositions. The first is that God may, depending on what the problem is, use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf. The second is that God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. The third is that God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. So, as, as we end this night, I want to leave you to go home and ponder on this lesson and propositions. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to see how powerful you are in every way and how faithful you are and how you can make ways clearly to us when we seek you. With all this, we thank you. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will sing this truth to our souls. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen.